Our scripture this morning comes from John 20, 1 through 10. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. He has. Uh, welcome to Grace and Peace Church on this Easter Sunday. I am off on my mic. There we go. Uh, Grace and peace exists to bring the healing power of the gospel, the good news of the resurrection, to every broken place by connecting people with God, caring for others, and cultivating in this city, all for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so, if you're ever interested in joining us at any other time, it is Sunday, it's 9.30 and 11, we will be here worshiping. But... We turn our attention to the ending of, of John in chapter 20. Have you ever woken up in a cold sweat? So fearful, heart pounding, realizing that this might actually be true. Your body so confused that what is going on and what you're seeing and what you're experiencing in this nightmare might actually be the reality. I know I do. I wake up at least twice a month to the horrible reality of having, losing, lo having lost my dad unexpectedly. He had uh, long bouts with alcoholism and my relationship with him. I have lots of regrets and lots of pain. And so I relive this reoccurring dream and nightmare over and over again. And I have a feeling... Some of you feel the same way. I believe that maybe even some of you in the life that you're living now are desperately pleading and wondering, is this it? Is this it? Is this reality for me? See, but when I wake after these dreams, I go to my coffee maker, I get my coffee, and I watch the sun come up, and it dawns on me that it's a new day, and that this is reality. And it gives me the reassurance that all the terrible things that happened in that dream is not reality, but what I touch and what I feel and the heat of the sun is the reality that I need most, and this is true, and it is better. The first Sunday, the first Easter Sunday, the disciples had been living a nightmare. And as the sun rose, they just believed all their hopes were buried in a tomb. But on that first Easter Sunday, 
They were waking up from a nightmare. In Jesus' resurrection, the world is awakened from the nightmare we've all been living in. A nightmare where our sin and shame is eating us alive. A nightmare where we continue to lose friends and loved ones to death. A nightmare where our bodies betray us. A nightmare where it is dangerous for kids to play in freedom outside. But on that first Easter, the resurrection of Jesus was like the world being woken up into a new reality, a new day, a new day dawning. And hope erupted and rose because Jesus came out of a tomb. And we're all invited to live into that new reality. You see, the nightmare of the world is one in which we live in rebellion against God. Trying to do things our own way. It's a sin. But God, He's the one that our hearts are made, were made to love, worship, and glorify. Yet, our rebellion in this world is one in where we feel the burden of our sin and our shame and we bear it. We bear it in the constant need to prove ourselves and our constant raging against the dying of the life. The resurrection is the proof. The real deal, holy field, 200 proof gospel that Jesus Christ bore your sins and your shame and those cannot condemn you any longer. And that he rose for your justification, as Paul says. It means that the nightmare is just that, a nightmare. And one day we will all wake up in the glorious shining of the sun of our Lord Jesus Christ beaming on us in his second coming. And the resurrection is just a deposit, a down payment of what is coming. It is the dawning of a new day, and when the sun is bright in the in the in the in this course of the day, and it beams on us, it will be full. But the resurrection is the beginning of that new day. The wages of sin is death, yet Jesus paid the penalty for our sin and rose for our justification. Death, now because of the resurrection, is only a nightmare in which we will all wake up from. And there's plenty to grieve in this past year, isn't there? Last year, we were in lockdown, and I was looking at you through a camera. And so, here we are, having lost friends, lost ways of life, frustrated at the constant constraints on our lives, When is this nightmare going to end? But Easter, Easter's a down payment that it will end. As the sun came up on their nightmare and our nightmare, Easter is a reminder that Jesus rose from the nightmare reality of sin and death and said it could not hold him anymore in the grave. The resurrection is the powerful reality of a new day and a new way of living. A new day and a new way. The writer makes it plain. It opens up in this section that we read that this was the first day of the week. And this, make no mistake, it isn't just reporting. The writer is trying to say something about the importance of this day. Jesus' resurrection changes the course of history by writing and starting a new creation week. It is to be compared with the old creation. 
We have left that and the sphere of sin and death into a new creation in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why this is mentioned. Christians will start worshiping now on the first day, Sunday, as a sign and symbol to the start of this new creation in Jesus. The resurrection is waking up into a bright new reality. The resurrection is the inbreaking of the new creation. It is heaven invading earth. It is all the sad things coming untrue. It is the future hope that everyone was waiting for when all things would be made new, being brought into the present. In the midst of their tears and in their grief, they have the resurrection life. It is a new epoch in history, in the history of the world, and it will be completed in the second coming. The resurrection, though, is powerful because it is history. It is history. You know, it's kind of cachet now to kind of believe that the bodily resurrection isn't really necessary. What you need is the good feelings of it. You know... It doesn't really matter if he was bodily resurrected. You just need to have that resurrection hope living in you, some people say. But that isn't the way the New Testament witness is trying to make this look. No. Paul says that if Christ is not raised, then our faith is in vain, and we are dead in our sin. The nightmare where sin and death and justice and grief still wins. And when you are turned into the grave, you will stay turned into the grave. And when your friends are buried in the grave, they stay buried in the grave. But the resurrection is turning everything on its head. The New Testament witnesses ask you to consider the evidence and the power of the history. First, notice Mary. Mary obviously is a woman. And she's the first witness. If you were going to build an entire religion, why would you choose a woman whose witness was inadmissible in court that could not allow it? Why would you build the testimony of this religion on the testimony of a woman unless it's true? Unless it's true. Numerous times in chapter 20, though, Mary is believing that they had taken away her master, her Lord. You see, some people say, oh, come on. They expected people to be risen from the dead in the New Testament. I'm sorry. That is not true. Why else would Mary be running around asking, where have you put my Lord? Where is he? Because she believed and she knew that she, that, you know, that, that uh, bodies just don't rise from the dead. She's intelligent. She's looking at the evidence. Only nowadays, in our modern view, do we look at the pre-modern people and say, well, obviously they're not as smart as we are. That's chronological snobbery to believe that we're more intelligent today than them then. Sure, we may have Google and the Internet today, but we also have reality television and the Darwin Awards, okay? <laughs> beyond this, beyond this, Paul, while giving his apologetic for the bodily resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, tells us that Jesus appeared to more than 500, then he lists the names. He's basically trying to say, yo, Snopes, check this out. Uh, it's real. You can fact check it yourself. He writes his own fact checkers in this. Also, we need to consider the curious case of the disciples. Notice that they grow from being a group of cowards who will abandon their Lord on Friday to being transformed into a group of people who will die courageous deaths testifying to the resurrection of Jesus by Sunday. I mean, Peter, 
is even crucified upside down because he did not believe that he was worthy to die like his Savior. Only true 200 proof gospel can make a gutless deserter into a courageous proclaimer. Only history, truth, can get you to live different. Otherwise, it's just sentimentality. Next, what about the curious case of the linens? If you were going to steal the body, you would, in a rush, you would want to take them with the linens. Otherwise, you know, like, he was torn apart, you know, like, things fall out. And so you're just going to take them, right? <laughs> take everything. You could sell the linens, probably make some money on it. Some have suggested that Jesus was only mostly dead. What do you mean mostly dead? As if, like, this is like, uh, you know, uh, the princess bride. No person, not even Miracle Max, can help someone who had been flogged and crucified and have the strength to unwrap himself of 75 pounds of wrappings and move a boulder. I mean, Wesley couldn't even lift his sword, really, after he, was made, after he had his life sucked from him in the pit of doom. But... Despair. Thank you. Oh, man. When I'm thinking about hurry things, I can't think about the Princess Bride, which is always running in the background of my head anyway. <laughs> the detail here, though, is more theological than scientific proof. And we will get to their significance in a second. But the point here is that the linens are proof that this is not a robbery, unless you're willing to say that Jesus robbed death. There are many more things we could say about the history of the resurrection, but it is the history that proves that the resurrection is not just sentimentality, but it's true power. It is the dawning of a new day. Christianity is historical. It's real. The resurrection is that beginning. It will take time, though. Like a new day, the way the sun warms the earth, so the resurrection is the dawning of a new day, and the sun is warming the earth. And someday, it will be fully <coughs> bright sunshine. But we still experience that darkness now in the shadows every once in a while. A day is coming, though, when there will be no more goodbyes for our loved ones. A day is coming when we will no longer hurt others with our sins of commission and omission. A day is coming where justice will no longer be just a distant dream, but will actually roll down like mighty waters. A day is coming where our bodies will not grow faint, but we will soar on wings like eagles. A day is coming where the goodness of joy will not be eclipsed by darkness, but will shine like the sun. That day has dawned in the person of Jesus Christ and is coming now as we live in the now and the not yet. Resurrection is the dawn, the down payment, the deposit of the fullness that is coming in his return. The day of the new creation is here. This down payment you could take to the bank because it's history. You could cash your checks on it. But what about this new way? It is one thing to know the information about the resurrection. It is quite another thing to experience the power of it. To get it into your bones. To let it existentially move you and change you. And to cause it to animate your life. 
I have a good friend that I've learned a lot from. And what we do is we go back and forth talking about our faith perspectives and beliefs. He said to me this week, Vince, you know what? When we talk about the resurrection, I could care less if Jesus actually rose from the dead. If it doesn't actually change your life, it is meaningless. You see, that's the problem with so many of us today. Isn't it? I think our normal habits bring us into the way of darkness, into the way of the nightmare. But we haven't let the reality hit us in the chest. We haven't let it get into our bones. If Jesus Christ has really risen from the dead, then this is good news. Then this is something that changes everything. And we ought to change along with it. This means that we will not be crushed by our sins any longer. It means that you have power to change and do things differently. You see? You see this? My friend's point is if the resurrection isn't making a lick of difference in any way you live, if you are functionally living as if it does not matter... You know, if it doesn't make you more loving, kind, hopeful, gracious, then you're not really using the power or living in the sunshine of the resurrection. Many people confess it. Some even teach it. Some can get PhDs in it and still live in the darkness of death. In our world today, we're all looking for that thing that will raise us out of our mundane lives. We're all looking for resurrection life, resurrection hope. Some look to adventure, some look to theological knowledge, some look to good food, romance, a good job, secure finances, and all of this is in order to cover up our sin. But we will hurt others to get our own paradises. And if you find that you're hurting others, maybe will you consider that you're living in the old way, the way of death, the way of self-salvation, this is the way of our world, the way of self-justification, one that uses others for our own self-salvation projects. Let me put it in kid terms. My son here, he likes it in kid terms. He tells me things that are funny, like, Dad, I don't know what that word existential means. <laughs> Eschatological? What in the world is that? So let me put it in kid terms. You know what? The way of not sharing, the way of not saying sorry, the way of never telling the truth, the way of being scared to ever ask for help, that is the way of sin. But that isn't the way Jesus shows us, is it? Jesus shows us that you can be secured and, and you are set, set steady in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you will not be moved around. That when you get the love of Jesus Christ, stand sure in your heart, in the risen view of the Savior. Then you know that you can do something differently. This is the power of the Holy Spirit testifying with you that you may do something different. But the truth of Christianity, though, is not that we make a way to God by our efforts, but God has come to us in Christ. 
And he has opened the way to paradise once and for all. And this way of life takes time. Very much in the same way a live oak must push out the old growth, the old brown leaves, before it may be able to spread new green life. But there's a theological and biblical significance that I talked about with the linens. The Old Testament tells about the truth of God's love, His covenant commitments to His people, and it does it in these still pictures. We have things like the Passover, the Day of Atonement, the festivals. But the New Testament authors, especially Paul, talks about these images as just shadows of the substance of the Lord Jesus Christ that they all in some way point to and is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Hence why we're talking about these linens. The interesting thing about the Day of Atonement was this. The Day of Atonement, the priest would go in and sacrifice a bull for his sin and the sin of his family's. Then he would lay his hands on a goat and send that goat out as a, as a way of saying that this goat has taken the sins of the people outside of the city in the presence of God to go live in the wilderness and be condemned there. Then there was another goat in whom the priest would lay his hands on, pray and bring the sins of the people, would, would then sacrifice this goat. All the while wearing priestly robes. And he would bring this goat into the holy place. Make the sacrifice there. And then he would walk out and leave his linens folded up because he has exited the holy place. Showing that God has accepted the sacrifice of the people. The reason why the linens are mentioned numerous times is to remind the people that the picture, the shadow of the Old Testament Day of Atonement has been made sure and true and has come in substance to the person of Jesus Christ. Because in his death, he entered into the presence of God and offered a sacrifice of himself, and that has been accepted. Hebrews 10 tells us, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since he, we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more. As you see, the day drawing near. Jesus has opened the way to the presence of God in his sacrifice. And God has accepted it. And I know you and I will say, that's nice. Does the sacrifice count for me? Does it matter to me? I have to wrestle with that all the time. 
think I talk a lot about God's grace and believing that it is good enough for you. Is it good enough for me? And the resurrection tells us that if all the sins, including my sins, were laid on him and he walked out of the grave, then he is the beginning of a new way. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father. No one gets to God. No one gets to paradise except through Him. Jesus says in John eleven twenty five that He's the resurrection and the life. Paul tells us in Romans four twenty five that He was raised for our justification. That means we can have the righteous standing before God. That Jesus is the first fruits of a new creation, and this new creation tells us that death is the last enemy to, to be defeated. It means that the last word on death is that death is dead. Because nothing can separate us from the love of God and our Lord Christ Jesus. It means that we rise with Jesus and are justified in his life and resurrection. It means that Jesus' resurrection tells us that we too will one day rise with him. We too will see our loved ones again. We too will have our sins forgiven. And that the last word on our sins is not the word of judgment, but that we are justified in our Lord Jesus Christ. It means that our world will no longer be a death trap for our human persons. It means that no longer will we have to, we will have to wait to make more memories with friends. It means that that it continues on through the resurrection. It means that we will have more to experience about God. It means that we will have new bodies that won't rebel against us. It means that we will awake from death one day as if from a terrible nightmare because Jesus' resurrection left death in its tomb. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, let us get the truth of this new day let the heat of the sun of the new day, the resurrection, warm us, body and soul, that we may live in a new way in the person of Jesus Christ, that we may be people of grace, mercy, and love, that this church will breathe, breathe out, and live out resurrection hope everywhere we go. Lord, by your mighty mercy, Grant us newness of life in the resurrection. And Lord, if any of us have yet to trust you and call upon you as Lord and Savior, may we do so now. May we confess our sins and know that you have forgiven them and given us your righteousness to stand before God in paradise. That we can't do it on our own. But your life, death, and resurrection, oh Lord Jesus, has done it for us.